Welcome to the Think Yourself Healthy podcast, where we challenge you to think differently about your approach to health and wellness. My name is Heather Duranja, and I'm excited to be here with you to take you on the journey from surviving to thriving. Hello, everybody. On today's episode of Think Yourself Healthy, we have a very special guest, Haley McGee. Haley is a codependency recovery coach who helps individuals conquer the people-pleasing pattern, set empowered boundaries, and master the art of speaking their truth. Certified by Erickson Coaching International, Haley has helped over a hundred clients throughout the U- hundreds of clients throughout the U.S., Canada, South Africa, France, Ireland, Yemen, and more break free from the shackles of codependency. She has facilitated groups coaching sessions for employees at WeWork. Amazon, and a variety of other businesses, and she's had the pleasure of appearing on a variety of podcasts, including Quintessential Being, Beyond the Pink Cloud, and Gold with Jeanette Schneider. Haley, I'm really excited to have you with us today. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Heather. Stoked to be here. It's going to be a good chat. Yeah, so I'm curious, how did you get how did you get involved with codependency and boundaries? What led you to this path? Well, probably like, like so many of us, it was personal. (laughs) It always starts personal. And then we're like, how can I help others? And so for me, I think, um, codependency and people pleasing has just been part of my story from the very beginning, you know, even as a little girl, I didn't know it then it took me a long time to realize that that's what I was grappling with, but I still remember the day I picked up a book about codependency and I was like, what's the deal with this? And as I was reading, it's like the light bulb went on. I was like, oh my God, this is me (laughs) through and through. Um, So once I kind of had that light bulb moment, um, a couple of years passed and I realized as I was healing and working on that, I wanted to really work um, and help others do the same. Oh, that's beautiful. I, I, I myself found my calling through my own personal experiences and codependency was definitely part of that plate. I know for myself, um, I actually didn't know that I had a problem until I got to that point where there was so much, um, so much resentment and anger and self betrayal that I was, you know, self sabotaging myself in the process of being so miserable, trying to make everybody else happy. And, um, I honestly, I don't even remember how I even came across codependency it might've been maybe a therapy session or something that brought it to my attention. But I know that that was in my mid twenties. I had never even recognized that this was a problem. And I had seen those kind of patterns modeled in my family. And so that kind of set the standard or the expectation for behavior. And um, it's, been a, it's been an interesting road since then. Yeah, right? Yeah, I did. I resonate. Oh, go ahead. I didn't even know there were such things as boundaries until um, I think 2018, I actually learned about boundaries. So I learned that I was codependent in my mid 20s and then didn't understand boundaries completely until about 2018. I had naturally started gravitating towards them. Once I recognized codependency, I, I started drawing boundaries, didn't know that's what I was doing. 
but until I actually learned that they were a thing, did I take it more seriously? And that's been very rewarding and challenging. And challenging. Right. <laughs> All the above. Exactly. Because I do feel like conversations around boundaries especially have just been gaining a lot of traction in like the mental health and wellness sphere over the past couple of years. Maybe that's because I'm more attuned to them in myself, so I'm noticing more. Um, but so many folks even, like you said, like so many folks don't even realize that codependency is a thing. And I know back when the, the term was coined in the 80s, it was co-addict. So people oh. think you can't be codependent unless you're dating or married to someone who is an addict, yeah. which is where that, that um, phrase started. But now it's just grown to really mean anyone who feels a sense of, um, like you said, really like self-betrayal or seeking external validation, oftentimes um, at the expense of the self. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I personally, I think that I used to think this was just a female issue. It, you know, impacted the female population more than it did with men. But what I've learned over the last 10 years of practice is that men struggle with codependency just as much as women do. However, it's not addressed as much. And I think there's a stigma around them feeling safe with expressing that they're struggling with codependent um, type of you know, challenges. So this conversation benefits not only the females, but also the males. It really applies to everyone when it comes to um, codependency and boundary setting. So for you as a practitioner who focuses specifically with codependency and helping others try to resolve these issues, kind of talk to me, what does that process look like when someone comes to you and, and is in that moment of awareness, I think I might be a codependent. Where do we go from there? It's such a good question. Yeah, I think, you know, um, something I like to share, because a lot of folks come to this work with a background maybe in therapy, but perhaps not coaching. And so they're like, what's the difference? And so I like to share that, you know, whereas therapy is so helpful in helping us address the why, mm -hmm. why did I become this way? What, what does my past look like? What patterns happened? Um, coaching is really great about saying, what is it that I want and how do I get there? And so that's sort of like the cornerstone of the work that I do with folks who are saying, all right, I'm codependent, but I want to break these patterns. I want to take action. Um, and so for me, I, I like to think and, and remind myself and my clients that while codependency tends to manifest in our relationships with others, you know, partners, friends, even um, colleagues and whatnot, at its core, it stems from a dysfunctional or disconnected relationship with the self. Mm -hmm. You know, that's kind of like that, that bedrock. And so in my work with clients, it's funny, sometimes they'll come in just like, all right, I'm ready to set some boundaries now. I want to really create space between my family and me, yada, da. And they're always surprised when I remind them that actually we're going to start with the self and, and strengthening that relationship to it through prioritizing your passions and naming your needs. Because for so many of us, that's really foreign. <laughs> it is. And honestly, I think when I ask individuals, what is it that you need? They look at me with a very blank space, like stare of, wait, I've never even considered what I need. Right. It's so true. It's literally for so many folks I talk to, it's a question that leaves a lot of question marks, honestly. Mm -hmm. And I think this is why it's so important though. Like we, 
when we set boundaries or speak our truth in our relationships, we are advocating for ourselves and protecting ourselves. Mm -hmm. And in order to protect ourselves, we need to know what we're protecting. Um, we need to know what is my identity? What are the values that I hold dear? And just what really matters to me? Mm -hmm. And so through answering those questions first, we be become better able to bring that self to our relationships with others. Yeah, that's, that's fabulous. You know, as I'm thinking about it, we might want to explain to the listeners who maybe are not aware like I wasn't, what codependency actually is. Can you give us kind of a snapshot, you know, summary of what codependency actually qualifies? Yeah, absolutely. And I know it's funny, there are like a million definitions of varying degrees online, but the one that resonates most with me is this idea that codependency is a, a behavioral condition in which someone with a low sense of self-esteem relies heavily on external validation for a sense of worth and value. You know, and so if listeners are like, oh man, does that relate to me? You can ask yourself questions like, do I really struggle to say no? Is it hard for me to speak up for what I need? Um, do I find myself often feeling victimized or resentful in my relationships with others? You know, questions like this all imply that there might be a sense of yourself that's not being advocated for. Mm -hmm. I really like the examples that you give because... I feel like the formal definition of codependency, many will be like, that's not me. I don't depend on others for my word. And, you know, those are hard things for us to truly admit to ourselves. And so it's easy to dismiss that kind of definition, right? But when we start to ask ourselves those questions, am I feeling resentful? Do I get angry? You know, am I feeling disconnected from myself? Am I seeking approval from others? All of the sudden, the brain's like, hmm, okay, maybe I need to think about this a little more. Maybe I need to do some reflecting here. So I appreciate those examples that you offered. I think it helps um, kind of give us a better idea of what codependency can actually look like if we don't think we fall into that category. Right. I completely relate to that because the labels can sound so stigmatizing and big and heavy, but really, yeah, it's all about these little things. Like, especially if you're someone who finds yourself like playing the role of caretaker or martyr mm -hmm. or fixer in your relationships with others. Like these are all just little signposts that there might be something deeper going on. Yeah, absolutely. One, I know one thing and myself included, I was a stay home mom for 14 years of my life and I got to be home and raise my children. But there was an immense amount of guilt and shame that came with that job role because you know, there were other friends of mine who weren't able to stay home with their children. And so I felt guilty that here I am with this opportunity. Um, I wasn't contributing to the family budget. You know, I wasn't bringing in an income. So there was a sense of guilt and shame around not feeling confident with allocating resources and funds towards things that I truly wanted to do. And so I found myself just in this really dark place of trying to justify my means of being a stay-at-home mother by doing for everyone else and 
not receiving anything in return, I wouldn't allow myself to receive because of that guilt and shame. I didn't feel that I was worthy and deserving of, you know, getting a babysitter and having an afternoon out to myself or going and getting my nails done. There were a lot of um, limitations that I intention, I guess it would, I wouldn't say it was intentional, but there were a lot of intent limitations that I placed upon myself because I assumed this role of stay home mom and felt a lot of guilt and shame about it. And so I tried to overcompensate by making everyone else happy. So no one could question my role as this stay at home mom. And in the process of that, it just really, you know, destroyed me. And then when my children were grown and no longer at home and dependent upon me, there was a complete loss of identity. A complete loss of identity. And at that time, I, I remember, you know, just trying to numb myself out with, you know, wine, beer, whatever it could be to try and just feel something, but not the loneliness and the emptiness that I was experiencing at that time. And so um, that was quite a revelation. And I think that there's a lot of individuals out there that struggle with this and not just women, because men have now are, you know, assuming the role of being stay at home dad, just as much as women are. So I think that this is a population um, of individuals that really can tend to fall more into that codependent type of trap. Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing that. I resonate with so many parts of that story. And I think um, something key I heard in what you shared was the pervasive nature of guilt. Mm -hmm. And I actually feel like that's wicked powerful because guilt, um, when we feel guilty, which so many of us recovering codependence, it's kind of like one of our natural states of being. <laughs> it's like guilt, guilt at taking up space, guilt at saying too much, guilt at saying too little, guilt at not making enough money, you know, all of these things. Um, which really guilt is like, it's just another way of saying I'm not enough. Mm -hmm. And so again, it's that sense of overcompensating. And for so many of us, this is something we learned in childhood, you know, like we wouldn't get attention or affection or kindness unless we played the role of people pleaser, parent pleaser, um, straight A student, all of these things. And it's a shame because the labor that you were doing was extremely valuable and necessary labor. And, you know, and so it's hard. I think a lot of folks do struggle with that, especially when their kids leave home or even, um, I think a lot of folks have that codependency light bulb when they, when there's a transition, mm -hmm. when they have to let go of something. And I see this a lot in my clients with not only folks, maybe like the empty nester, so to speak, but also folks who recently went through a divorce or a breakup which was where I learned that my codependency was a thing after a really devastating separation mm -hmm. from a partner that I did not want to end, even though the relationship was pretty unhealthy. And in his absence, I felt completely identityless, precisely like you said. Yeah. It's a frightening place to be. And, you know, I, I do a lot of work with substance abuse, individuals going through recovery. And I want to say almost all of them suffer from codependency. A lot of them grew up in very, you know, dysfunctional households, a lot of codependent narcissism type of dynamics. And they turn to the drugs and alcohol like I myself did. And they do this as a source to feel 
something, some, we just want to feel something. We don't want to feel the emptiness that we're feeling. So the, the pain that we subject onto ourselves because we are so empty kind of um, allows us to distract ourselves from the actual work that needs to be done. And then usually something really major happens that we get to this place where we're like, okay, I can no longer function this way or it's going to have some sort of really, really negative consequence. And then that's when we have that moment of awakening. I know for myself, I went through a terrible divorce and through that terrible divorce was when I recognized how bad the codependency was because I was so scared to death to leave the relationship for fear that I would not be able to take care of myself and I would not be able to take care of my children. And as I went through this transition and, you know, being a single mother and ultimately I realized, wait a minute, I was doing it all on my own the whole time. Like I was doing it all in the first place. And so it really was a lot of the limiting beliefs that I had inherited and the behaviors that I saw modeled to me at, was the expectation I had set. And I was like, wow, wait a minute. I can have more than just this. Like I am capable of more. This is amazing. And it was a really liberating experience. However, I recall drawing those first boundaries and then immediately feeling like I was going to throw up or wanting to call the person back and be like, no, 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 I made a mistake. I can figure out, I'll, I'll figure it out. I'll make it work. Yeah. And then having to literally talk myself through that process. No, Heather, you can't do that. Like it was exhausting. There was that period of just absolute exhaustion from my cognitive dissonance, my brain wanting to go back to the old default state that it kept me feeling safe. It was a illusion. And, <laughs> and then trying to create this new empowered identity for myself. What a... Yes. <laughs> oh, man. Beautifully said. Holy cow. Um, how I love that you talked about this. Because especially if you're just thinking about boundaries based on like the quotes you see on Instagram, right? It's like, no is a complete sentence. And like boundaries only upset those who benefited from you having none, which is all true. This isn't to say that that's not true. But there is so much fear and anxiety involved in breaking these patterns and setting boundaries for us. And I think we have to talk about that. Absolutely. Because that's what keeps people from being able to be consistent. Their brain has already been programmed. There's the autopilot default state that we don't have to think about. So naturally it wants to say, yes, whatever you need. But then there's that part of us that's like, I don't really want to do that. Like if we're being honest with ourselves, you know, I, I really don't want to do that. And so when we get the courage to say no, it's almost an immediate yes. It's like there's that the brain tries to redirect back to the old default pattern so quickly. So how do you encourage individuals to be in that state of uncomfortableness with learning to say no or verbalizing what their actual needs are. How do we, how do we make this something that is um, more realistic and can set us up for long-term success? Yeah. 
Oh man. Well, I think, you know, there's a couple pieces here. And I think the first one is just exactly what you said, which is acknowledging that fear and anxiety and guilt are going to be part of your process. Mm -hmm. um, going into that, like setting realistic expectations for yourself and trusting that you're going to have that intrinsic reaction after setting a boundary. It's kind of like your abandonment fear gets triggered because in childhood, you may not have had the opportunity to set boundaries. Or if you did, you may have received um, shame or even violence from your caregivers. Right. And so recognizing that that's a very natural reaction and also holding yourself, that part of you that's afraid, mm -hmm. holding it with compassion because it's afraid and it needs love from you to say, it's okay, this is normal. So what can that look like? When you say, you know, hold compassion for that frightened inner child within us, how do we do that? I feel like there's a lot of people that really struggle with that concept. It's very easy for us to say, have passion or have compassion and have some grace for yourself. But I don't think people actually know what that looks like or how to implement that. Yes. And this is where I think having some really concrete tools makes a really big difference. Um, and I like to think of these tools both in terms of prior to setting the boundary and then after setting the boundary. Okay. So beforehand, I like to, you know, A, like we talked about, anticipate the feelings and B, like remi remind yourself of the why. Why are you setting this boundary? Because every time you say no to someone else, you're saying yes to something. Mm -hmm. So if you're saying, no, I don't want to take on the volunteer commitment or no, like, don't touch me like that, or no, I won't, you're saying some yes to something that is of value to you. Mm -hmm. So that's one way of keeping, of letting that part of you feel seen and understood. Then you're going to set the boundary and it's going to be really hard <laughs> and you're going to want to immediately backpedal. I have so many personal experiences of saying a boundary and then immediately reeling it in like a fishing line, like, no, 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 no. So after that, if you go into it expecting that you're going to feel really wonky afterwards, there are a couple different types of things you can do. Um, I actually like to use the acronym PECS, P-E-C-S, to just remind myself of four ways of self-soothing after setting a boundary. So I'll share the, the acronym. <laughs> you know, so P, physical. Physically, after you set a boundary, your nervous system's probably going to be all wonky, and you may physically just need some really grounding reminders that you are, in fact, safe and that nothing's wrong. So whether that's just even like, you know, any number of things, right? Touching your skin, deep breathing, ways of feeling grounded in your body. Um, e is just emotional. So emotional self-soothing. This can look like journaling, giving yourself the opportunity to remember the why behind why you set this boundary, and also reminding yourself of what you just stood up for in that moment. Mm -hmm. A little bit of that pep talk thing. Yeah. Um, C is actually communal. We forget sometimes that self-soothing or self-care actually um, benefits from having more folks on board. And so I always encourage my clients, you know, if you know you're going to set a really tough boundary, have a cheerleader in mind, someone who knows you that you can call after you set it, who can cheer you on, remind you that you're a badass and just keep you centered. Oh, I love that. You know, it's so important because it's easy to get in your head. You need reminders from loved ones that like you just did a really cool and important thing. Right. I, I really like that tip. I think that's a great ac ac acronym. I cannot talk today. 
when, you know, when we're in our head and we're having those feelings of anxiety and fear and shame and guilt, we elicit a very specific hormonal cascade of neurotransmitters into our bloodstream. And they continue to basically sustain the anxiety, you know, heightened anxiety state we are in. So this cycle takes about 90 seconds. And if we can interrupt this 90 second cycle by getting out of our head and into our body, it will allow us to redirect the thoughts to something that is more serving. And then naturally the anxiety and all of the you know hormones like cortisol and epinephrine and norepinephrine that are floating in the bloodstream causing you to be even in a more heightened state of fear can dissipate. And I think that, you know, by the P, physically touching yourself, doing something to get out of your head and into the body to interrupt that pattern is so beneficial. So beneficial. It's a huge part of this stuff. You know, I think a lot of us who go to therapy and read self-help books and journal, I'll speak for myself. I'm like a pretty cerebral person. I spend a lot of time in my head. Mm -hmm. And over the past couple of years, it's been so beneficial to learn that a huge part of the healing and self-care process, it's physical, it's getting into the body, which can be scary, again, for those of us who are used to dissociating or relying on substances to numb out a bit. Right. Well, I, you know, when it comes to codependency, I feel that codependency is very similar to having like a drug addiction our bodies become very addicted to the emotional pain that we're experiencing because we do release those brain chemicals into the bloodstream that give us a specific feeling. And our body sets that as kind of its baseline, its homeostasis, like this is what is my survival state. And so even though we might be miserable, our bodies don't know good or bad. It just knows this is the baseline. This is the set point. So when individuals start to have the consciousness around, wait, maybe I am falling into these codependent patterns. Maybe I am self-betraying. That that window where we're tr- we have the state of awareness and now we're trying to take the action is so scary. It is just absolutely frightening. It's so challenging. I mean, I know for myself that going through the process, there have been so many times where I have immediately started self-doubting and, and you know the abandonment and the rejection creeping in. And then I have to redirect myself with a lot of awareness and a lot of intentional talk. And so I think that um, developing skills and tools to help us you know, support this process is so vital at being able to cross the bridge and get to the other side. I know for myself, this is something I will probably always, it'll always be back there. It's never going to completely go away. But I know that the more I practice, the easier it gets and the less and less of the self-doubt and negative self-talk come into play. And I can celebrate more frequently. This episode is brought to you by Organifi. And my friends over at Organifi are hooking you up with 15% off the entire store. Yep, the entire store. All you have to do is head over to Organifi.com and use the code Heather to save some moolah. You guys ask me all the time, Heather, 
How do you have so much energy? How are you basically reversing the aging process? And I just have to say that the green juice and the red juice from Organifi are two of my secrets. I don't go a single day without a scoop of my red or green juice. And just a little PSA, right now they even have a pumpkin spice flavor and um, it's outrageous. I don't take a lot of supplements, but I'll be honest, it's hard to get a lot of the vitamins and minerals we need from food alone these days. So that's why I use a high quality product like Organifi to ensure that I'm supporting my brain health, liver health, immune system, detoxification, and most importantly, my energy levels. The green juice is amazing first thing in the morning because it contains superfoods that help to lower cortisol levels. And uh, it's 2020, has it got you stressed? This is going to be a game changer for you to help reset your entire body for a focused and energized day. To have your red or green juice or any other amazing Organifi product delivered to your doorstep, head to Organifi.com and use the code Heather for 15% off. <laughs> Which is critical. That's like totally part of the process. We have to like teach ourselves through practice and celebration that this is a dope thing that we're doing that's going to really serve us. Mm -hmm. And I really appreciate what you said. Well, first of all, just backtracking, love that you offer sort of like these biological chemical explanations for what goes on in the body. That's so valuable to me to learn more about. And I'm oh. sure the listeners um, as well. And then B, you mentioned skill building and practice. Mm -hmm. And I love that because I do think that even though this is emotional or psychological territory, um, we're not used to thinking of it quantitatively, but there are actionable piecemeal steps that we can take to work on this stuff. And that is what all of the coaching with my clients is about. It's boiling down this thing that feels so huge and scary into steps. Mm -hmm. And I like to say to my clients, and, and you spoke to this just now, like, speaking your truth is like working a muscle. You know, when you're just starting, it's possible that that muscle may not be very strong because it's one we've neglected. And so we have to think about ways we can practice. And in the beginning, like for some of us, I know for me, I still remember this one time, uh, it was with a past partner and we were trying to figure out where to get dinner. We were gonna do takeout. And he recommended getting burritos from this one burrito place down the street. And, you know, secretly it was like fine and everything, but I had a favorite burrito place that was not the same. And I, you know, sucked up the courage. And I was like, actually, I would prefer if we got burritos from this other place. And to some folks, this might sound absolutely insane. Like, duh, of course you would say that. But that felt like a victory. Absolutely. Like that was me actively rerouting some, okay, I hear that you want this, but I want this other thing. And an example like that, it's like, it makes me laugh to say it out loud, but those are ways we can practice in the beginning. I love that. That's, <laughs> that's a great piece of advice. Thank you for sharing that. When you're talking about that, I'm in my head thinking back to when I was married and how my ex-husband made all of the decisions around, you know, going out to eat meals that we would have. And I remember there was maybe one time I had the courage to say, oh, I'd rather do this. And then we went and got the food and then he bitched and complained the entire time, made it such a miserable experience. I was like, never again will I ever make a recommendation. So when I became single, and I'm really excited to chat with you about this, when I became single, 
and I started dating. I had not, I was 17 when I got together with my ex-husband and I was 33 when I got divorced. So I had never dated. Like I didn't know what this whole dating thing was and it was so frightening. And I remember guys, you know, where do you want to go? Da, da, da. And I would always be like, oh, I don't care. It's up to you. And then I was miserable date after date after date. And I'm like, why? Why am I just letting them choose? And then I finally had the courage to start speaking up and saying, why don't we go hiking? Or why don't we meet at the park? Or, you know, trying to come up with things that I would rather do. But through my codependency, I see now how much that really interfered with me actually showing up as who I am trying to date people. So with that being said, I'm still single. And of course, I don't want to fall back to those codependent patterns. So with dating, how do you encourage individuals not to lose themselves to those codependency patterns and be able to maintain supporting their authenticity? Yeah. I think that when we are single, I've heard this from many clients and have felt this way myself. Sometimes those of us who struggle with codependency feel so much better when we're single. Um, We feel calmer, we feel more empowered, we feel more in touch with ourselves because there's not that other person that we are at risk of essentially becoming addicted to, like you said earlier. Mm -hmm. Um, I think to to what you just shared about the expressing of desire, um, I like to remember and remind clients, like, it is our responsibility to express desire and need. Um, when we leave that to someone else, we're pretty much abdicating that responsibility and assigning someone else a ton of labor that's actually not theirs. It's not their job to say what they need and mind read us for what we need. When we expect that, maybe similar to you and your dating experience, I've expected that in the past and become so resentful because I feel like I'm constantly not being taken into account. Mm-hmm. I'm not taking myself into account. It starts at home with me. Yes. You know, I, yeah, absolutely. And that resonates so much with me because I do, I can say that I always do feel much better when I'm not in a relationship. There's this sense of freedom. There's this sense of peace. There's not this extra burden that I'm carrying of feeling like I have to accommodate somebody else's needs. And this is something that I've recently recognized like this, you know, with multiple attempts at trying to be in relationships and recognizing all of the patterns and the triggers and the things I've now gotten to that state of awareness where, wow, okay. I actually am self-sabotaging relationships unintentionally, well, technically intentionally, because that's what I'm subconsciously doing, but it's almost for safety. It's almost like a thing for safety to keep myself safe so that I don't lose those pieces of me. I, I went through a period in 2017, 18, where I got into a relationship and found myself right back to being a complete and total codependent so badly that it actually put me into a suicidal state. Like I had literally given up every single piece of myself that I was so lost. I was, you know, the self-betrayal was so immense. I knew that I had to take responsibility for how I had gotten there. And that was frightening. It's like, oh shit, I got to go through all this again. Oh man, you know, I got to, I got to redo all this and, and admit where my responsibility in this whole thing was. 
And so I decided to intentionally date myself for an entire year. And this was the first time in my entire life that I had ever been by myself. And this was the first time in my entire life that I had to actually learn to like me. I had to first discover who I was before I even could like myself. It was so scary. But in the process, it was so freaking liberating. It was like the best thing that ever happened to me. And so now I'm in that awkward stage of having the awareness with codependency tendencies and not wanting to fall back into that, you know, place. But then also knowing that I am intentionally self-sabotaging relationships out of fear that I am going to go back there. So for someone like myself who does desire to be in a relationship, a healthy relationship, where do I go? What do you do? do? Right? For real. Well, I think, you know, it's great to remember that the recovery process is not linear. Like we can go through periods of solitude and healing and self-development. I know, right? It's like, wait a second. Doesn't this all add up in a piggy bank somewhere that I can cash in? (laughs) Right? But it's true. Like, and I think it's so important to recognize for ourselves that when we do enter relationships, it's how do I say this nicely? The phrase that came to mind was like danger zone. And what I mean by that is we have to be vigilant because that's when we're most prone to over-involve ourselves in someone else's life and under-involve in our own. And so there are totally like practical steps you can take to hold yourself accountable to maintaining a sense of self in a new relationship or when you're dating. And they might sound, it's deceptively simple. Mm -hmm. It's all about, all right, if I want to maintain a relationship with someone, that's someone being me, what do I need to do? And so you can even think of love languages, right? Well, you need quality time with yourself Mm -hmm. alone to whatever it is that lights your fire. You know, you could go like the meditation yoga route, you could go for a walk, you could dance in your room, like whatever, but something to reinstill that sense of I'm in my own company and that's a safe and fun place to be, you know? Yes. Um, So time alone. Also, I think um, just being really, knowing what red flag or warning signs there might be in terms of when this blossoming relationship is starting. don't cancel plans with your friends to go see your date. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like little things like this. And I don't mean to sound so hard and fast because everything is, is a spectrum, but I would say that's a really good one to look out for. Um, noticing if you start to neglect any part of yourself, if you notice yourself not eating healthily, if you notice yourself, maybe you attend 12 step meetings and all of a sudden you're not going for three weeks. Mm. Um, if you're noticing old addictive patterns start to surface, these are all any little signpost that says, hey, like I'm getting out of touch with that empowered, strong person that I was just with, that I just was during this single phase. Mm-hmm. Really being diligent about those. I think that's great advice. And something that I have attempted to do um, throughout this process is I kind of wrote myself a little owner's manual. <laughs> so I went- Oh my God. I went through the effort to really be able to identify what my core fears are. And ultimately they are around rejection and abandonment. And then from there, being able to recognize what my typical, you know, what the triggers are and then how I typically respond to those triggers 
And then from there, I established a whole plethora of needs. So that to remind myself that if I decide to engage in a relationship, I literally have like a whole list of things that I have articulated and laid out to take the pressure off of my partner that they are not responsible for me. I am not responsible for them. However, these are the things that I'm going to need in order to continue to support my healing journey and my self-love and be able to establish that healthy you know, intimacy and bond between myself and another being. My beings right now are all my rocks. So <laughs> I'd like to get past the rocks and something a little softer. <laughs> Right. Oh man. It's, it is wild because I think that, um, during this phase, it's just so scary, you know, because we don't want to lose touch with ourselves. And it's, I almost like to use the metaphor of a apartment or a home when we are single. Let's see if this resonates. Let's see if I can explain this. When we're single, we're hanging out in our own home all the time. We're cooking food for the self. We're hanging out. We're reading. We're just like uh, investing in ourselves. When we get into a relationship um, or we're dating, sometimes we leave home. We spend more time in another person's mental state. We spend time catering to their needs. We spend time with them. But we have to keep coming home mm-hmm. because if we don't, it starts to collect dust and cobwebs and the plumbing gets all messed up. And ultimately, if we let that go on for too long, AKA allow codependency to take hold, we end up not wanting to come home at all. It sounds too scary because we're like, oh, it's dusty and there's spiders and I haven't been there for so long. I don't even know what it's like anymore. And that prevents us from coming home to the self and making the self seem like a safe and good place to be. Um, That's so beautiful. And (laughs) you could not be more on point with that statement because ultimately that is exactly what it is. We abandon ourselves and then we're scared to death to try and go back there. It's like, no, I don't know her. I don't know what's, I don't know what I'm going to walk into. Oh my God. And it's totally crazy because like that fear, I resonate with that fear so hard. of like, I don't want to go back, but the fear is worse than the going back in my experience. Like I remember, this is kind of a tangent, but I remember during quarantine, I spent like uh, eight weeks um, cohabitating with my then partner in his apartment. Cause it just made sense because, you know, we didn't want to have to travel and whatever. And the longer I stayed in his apartment without coming home to my own space, the more scared I was of doing it. I was like, Oh, I can just stay here longer. It's so comfortable here. I'm so at home here. And for some reason, by the time those eight weeks were up, I was so nervous about returning to my own apartment and being alone with myself. But once I did it, cause I had to, it was so much less bad than I expected. I was like, oh my God, I have all this free time. I can cook what I want. I can buy what I want from the grocery store. And so sometimes the fears we have when we're in that codependent place are far worse than the reality of what solitude or being on our own will actually be like. Mm -hmm. I, I agree with you. And I can... What a great example. I think a lot of people can resonate, resonate with that. And I think there's probably a lot of people who were in that boat, especially during this time. People have been stuck together for longer than they've ever spent in their entire lives. And so um, lots, of, lots of things 
for me personally, 2020 has just been such a blessing. I think that we've really had an opportunity to kind of take a step back, pull down some of the layers of onion and start, you know, looking at what's in front of us and how we can, if we're not content, if we're not happy, what do I actually have control over to take responsibility to start getting where I want to go? And so I think 2020 has been an amazing, amazing year. I don't think anything, um, there's been a lot of, you know, a lot of stuff, but ultimately if we can trust in ourselves, if we can just trust in the process and take it one step, one breath at a time, I think many of us who were freaking out, you know, in March have probably gotten to a place where we're like, oh, this is great. I got this. And it's all about that question, which is like the question of what do I have control over and what don't I? Mm -hmm. This is an exercise I do with my clients, like on the first or second session always, because when you really boil it down, there's so much that we think we have control over that we try to have control over that we actually just don't. Right. And 2020 has been an excellent exercise in surrendering that illusion of control, I'd say. Absolutely. And I personally, I feel like codependents tend to try to control outcomes more than others because of fear, because of not wanting to be judged and not wanting to be, you know, identified in some sort of negative way. Right. So we try, like when I have conversations with individuals and we go through what we can and cannot control and how we're wasting energy and all of the places that we're investing that we actually have no ability to control the outcome, that um, it's like this mind-blowing moment of, whoa, look at all that energy I was exhausting that I could have been using on myself. <laughs> right. Oh, God. So true. Right. So part of this process, what are some of the additional growing pains that you can speak to, to kind of help others identify if they are currently going through the process or maybe thinking about going through the process of releasing themselves from codependency? What kind of heads up can you give them for what to expect in terms of the uncomfortable stuff? Yeah. And it is so uncomfortable, you know, and again, expecting that to be the case. It's just remembering, right, that if you feel anxiety or fear as you're going through this process, it's not a sign that you're doing something wrong. Mm -hmm. It's a sign that you're growing. It's unfamiliar territory, right? And I think there are a couple key things that happen when folks begin to live in alignment with their truth that maybe get harder before it gets easier. Um, some of those things, at least in my experience, have been um, really breaking up, so to speak, with relationships or institutions that once served you that don't any longer. Because um, when you've been people-pleasing, you're kind of just a chameleon. You know, you're amorphous. You're just adopting to the standards of those around you. So when you start to live in alignment with your truth, things start to rub you the wrong way. You no longer feel connected to certain people or things. And there's a lot of grief in that. Um, that I think we have to talk about. Like for me, I know in this process, I've definitely let go of friendships that felt imbalanced or um, not reciprocated. Mm -hmm. I've certainly let go of partnerships and I've let go of institutions and even workplaces where once I started to speak my truth, there were issues. And mm -hmm. to me, that's a sign that this isn't the right environment for me. Mm -hmm. Do you find that often family 
is one of those things that sometimes we have to let go of. Yeah. Oh God. I mean, and that's the hardest one, I think. Like in everyone I've spoken with, those sort of family boundaries are the scariest. Yeah. And it's tough, right? Because we can get to a place where we feel confident in our truth and speak that in a family setting. And maybe we set boundaries there too. But yeah. really with family, it's it's critical to ask this question of what can I or can't I control? Right. Because, you know, we can set boundaries and um, they could be not received. You know, we could say, oh, I don't, I don't want that from you or you're not the person I once knew. And from there, our choices are actually really, really limited. Mm -hmm. We can choose to carry on in the unhealthy way or we choose to create space and distance, which could be in the form of only seeing family so many times a year, choosing not to communicate over text, or even just um, severing those relationships with family. Yeah. I know for myself, unfortunately, this is something that was very hard, but necessary. I, in 2018, I'm in therapy and my therapist says to me, oh, so your family doesn't practice boundaries. And I'm like, what? what do you mean? And she starts giving me examples. I'm like, oh, oh, okay. So I had already been putting boundaries in place, but I didn't know that's what I was actually doing. I didn't know it was a thing. And um, throughout that process, so I, my grandmother, my maternal grandmother was a huge part of my growing up experience. And her and I were very, very close but she is the textbook codependent. I mean, it's bad. She's the martyr. She's, you know, the people pleaser. I mean, everything. And so after I got into my mid twenties and started recognizing I'm grandma, I don't want to be grandma. <laughs> I definitely don't want to be grandma. I mean, I love my grandma. Don't get me wrong, but I did not want to display those kind of personality traits and live in that much pain and anger. And so I recognized I had to start really limiting my interaction with her. And fast forward, I have put so many boundaries in place with this woman, okay? And I've stayed consistent with them. She chooses to not honor. So 2019, I'm in, I'm in a, no, I'm sorry, it was 2018. I'm in a really, really bad place. And I'm trying to figure out financially how I'm going to take care of myself again. And and whatnot. And I have a really important meeting scheduled with this fitness equipment manufacturer, and they wanted me to develop uh, a program for them. So I'm getting ready for this interview. My grandmother comes into the room I was staying in and says, honey, there's something I need to tell you. And I'm like, yes. And she says, I've been praying to God for you, you know, but you need to understand that God isn't going to be able to give you everything you want. He's blessed you with your looks. He's blessed you with your knowledge. He's blessed you with your ability to help people. But he, he just can't give you love and he can't secure your finances. And I looked at her and I said, get out. I am not listening to this bullshit. This is the biggest pile of crap I have ever heard. And I was like, shame on you for trying to discourage my confidence before I have to go step up into this very important meeting to secure my financial stability. I was like, I refuse to accept anything you just declared as my truth. That might be your truth, but it's not mine. And then I had to cease communication with her and have decided that 
it's not, it's just, she just can't get it. I understand that she's set in her ways and whatnot, but it doesn't align with how I want to feel. So I'm not going to subject myself to that. So she just had a birthday and I realized, you know, this could be one of the last birthdays. So I decided that the safest way for me to communicate was to have all of my daughters, everyone in the room, and we would all call at one time and wish her a happy birthday. And it worked out really well. There were no negative conversations. You know, the things that are off the table for me were not brought onto the table. So in over two years, with my consistency, this was the first time she actually honored the boundaries. So I just have to keep that kind of my baseline and accept it for what it is. And I will always love her, but I don't have to subject myself to, to that. And, That's right. You know, That's right. That, that was a huge win, huge celebration for me. I can only imagine. I mean, what a story, especially if she was kind of like a fundamental part of your upbringing. Yeah. And it's complicated. And what I like about your story, I love a lot of it, but especially this idea of you set this firm boundary and then two years later or whatever, you were able to find a way of engaging that felt safe. And it's just to show boundaries, they're kind of like living things, depending on how safe you can feel. And if with time, a relationship begins to feel safer or you find new ways of engaging that feels safer, you can maybe you know, relax the boundary or stiffen it, depending on what's needed. And so it's nice to remember that, that these decisions aren't always necessarily permanent either. Yeah, that's such a great point. Thank you for bringing that up because that is true. I. I think that as we keep consistent with our boundaries and the others value the relationship, they will adjust their behavioral patterns based on your need and find a way to meet you halfway in order to cultivate and continue some form of healthy relationship. That's great. Agreed. Well, this has been so fun and I could literally chat with you all day long. It sounds like you and I have lots and lots we could talk about. Yeah. <laughs> Agreed. I, I'm so grateful for you coming on and sharing this information and, you know, having an honest talk around the uncomfortableness. But one thing I definitely want the listeners to know is that this is a challenging process to go through and it can be very uncomfortable, but if you can allow yourself the permission to get uncomfortable, to know that you're going to experience some pain and all of the things, it's not permanent. And the empowerment and the, the love and the relationship that you are able to establish with yourself just radiates into all of the other things in your life. And it is just such an amazing thing to experience. I don't know why anyone wouldn't want to do it. So Beautifully said. Agreed. Agreed. And keep that vision of that. There's light at the end of the tunnel, right? We have to remember that when stuff gets hard and let that be your North star, you know, that guides you through those dark nights of the soul when you're feeling awkward and guilty and sad, you know, that's on the other side. So where can the audience find you? How can they learn more about you? Yeah, the best place is probably my website, HaleyMcGee.com. And then I keep, um, there's a great community on Instagram. You can follow me on my handle there where folks are always talking about the boundaries they're setting and the truths they're speaking. And it's just a really supportive and inspiring community. So those are the two best spots. Yeah, if you guys are not following her on Instagram, I encourage you to head over to her page, Haley Page McGee. 
and you are going to not want to miss out on all of her amazing quotes and tips. And I just, I absolutely adore your, your Instagram page. So I'm, I'm very fond of you and the work that you're doing. So thank you so much for being you and showing up and helping guide others to living their best life. It's such a beautiful, beautiful thing. So thank you. Thank you so much, Heather. Thanks for this chance. I learned so much from you today. I need my notepad to like document <laughs> notes after. So thanks again. Thanks for joining us on the Think Yourself Healthy podcast. Make sure you leave a review and let me know what you think. I love reading your feedback. Come hang out with me on Instagram at Heather Duranja. And don't forget to take a screenshot that you're listening to the podcast and tag me. I love to share it. See you on the next episode.